Hey everybody, what's going on? I hope you're all doing well and staying safe right now. I won't be long here, just want to say that Steve and I this week have Ryan Dunkley on the show, and he's, uh, wow, I can't talk. Hey everybody, uh, Jesus. Hey everybody, recording an introduction shouldn't be this difficult, but I am incapable of speaking. This week on the show, Steve and I have Ryan Dunkley. He used to play at the University of Alberta for the Golden Bears back in the 90s. Uh, that's kind of when the Bears were in their heyday. And if you're an Edmonton person, I'm, I'm sure you know what I mean. If not, it really was a scene. Going going to the, see the Bears on the weekend was kind of a hot ticket and a really big deal for a lot of people, but especially if you were in the basketball community. And Ryan was a really, really great player. And since his playing days, he's done a lot of coaching, especially at Emu Lizard High School, and just done a lot of really good things for a lot of kids. So it was awesome to have Ryan on the podcast. There's a few technical audio glitches because we're just recording this over Skype, so I'm sure you can forgive us for that one. I don't know what's going on with my voice. Usually I'd like to think my voice is pretty smooth and buttery, but I have a bit of a Patrick Mahomes, Kermit the Frog thing going on, which is unfortunate. Um, Also, lastly... There will be a change to this podcast, and I'm really excited. Uh, Steve and I will, I don't know, I'm sure make some kind of announcement about that over the next few weeks. But let's not make this too long. Let's get into it. Here is Ryan Dunkley, Steve, and myself talking about episodes three and four of ESPN's The Last Dance. And if you don't know what The Last Dance is, that is entirely on you. Shame on you, and get with the program. Cue the baseline. Oh man, of course we watched. It'd be sacrilegious if we did not. Yeah, yeah. Well, that would be terrible. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this too because I was telling Steve, you guys um, were so much more aware of what's going on in the league at that time than I obviously was. So I, I'm really excited to hear your your hot takes. You're going to be sizzling. But <laughs> what were just like, uh, what's that? How old were you at that time? I was like nine when they won the 98. Champ. Yeah, the last dance I was nine. So that was honestly that and the year before the only seasons I can still really vividly remember before I didn't know what the hell was going on. But it is bringing a lot back, which is pretty cool. Yeah. It was a lot harder to follow basketball back then. Freaking Edmonton Journal. And if you watch Sports Night on Fridays with Tachi, you could get a few little highlights in there sometimes. But otherwise, they just flashed the scores generally. Yeah, you didn't see anything. You, you had to really go really go out of your way to try and find more than what we got. Yeah, like I think starting after Christmas, you'd get games on like NBC or whatever. But up until the first half of the year, unless you had more than I had for TV growing up, you didn't see almost anything. Yeah, yeah same with us. Same with I us. I do remember you. that being a very frustrating thing. And, and it's crazy how it's only pretty recently this has changed, like once the whole We the North thing kicked off. But yeah, it would be like you know, game six, triple overtime, and they show like a layup from the first quarter <laughs> yeah, and yeah. then 20 minutes of analysis on the Canadians game or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was bad back then. So what were your guys, uh, you can say however many you want, I put down one or two, but you can go to town. What were your favorite parts of the last two episodes? Uh, you guys go first and I'll tell you mine after. Steve-o? Um, 
I really liked the uh, I think the Rodman stuff is great because it's it's really hard to encapsulate now just how unique and intense the Rodman stuff was at that time, um, especially with the Bulls. Um, it, it's hard, I think, in general, just to in, just to capture just the Bulls mania that was going on at that time, because with Jordan and then the drama surrounding the team and the uncertainty of what was going to happen going forward tied into also to the stuff that Rodman brought from like a pop culture standpoint. They did a good job of showing just how odd Dennis Rodman was at that time. I will say that it didn't show me anything I didn't already know about Rodman. I mean, his story is so bizarre and, and incredible of being homeless. And then three years later, he's in the NBA um, is, is, is amazing. Um, but then also too, like his story is always kind of the same kind of stuff of nobody understands me. They just write some shit about me. I don't care. So I'm just going to do my thing. And it's like, okay, I did think the Vegas thing of Jordan going to Vegas to get Rodman out of Carmen Electra's room <laughs> is like probably better than like 95 of the movie treatments that have been made in the last 10 years. <laughs> like that would probably have been a great movie. But um, that part was good because it's just it's so odd now. There's no way a guy in the NBA could go to Vegas for for five days no. in the middle of the season and not have the world explode um, on Twitter. So that part was great. Um, I loved the part. This will be my last one. You guys go ahead. I loved the part where they talked about Jordan and the Cavs and how he like singled out the writers and said, prove we showed you, we showed you, we're going to show you tonight. And then when he hits the shot and he's yelling, go home with the extra stuff after there's just so much about Jordan. When he talks now going back to then where you can just see like, this is a hundred percent the real deal with him. There's no bullshit. It was truly for him, like all about winning and it encapsulates it so well. Like that was just the the pure thing that drove him. So I love when they revisit that and then have him be interviewed about it. Now it, it just, I don't know. It just pumps you up. It just makes you want to do something. You're not even sure what at the time. So, yeah. And a lot of those fine details, like I don't remember being as widely reported up here in Canada growing up and stuff like that. Yeah. And I didn't realize he was swearing at the uh, all that stuff. But I do know that Jordan back in the day used to intentionally seek out negative criticism in the media as like motivation on your random <laughs> NBA nights just so he had someone to play pissed off at, which was pretty cool. That's mm-hmm. awesome. What were your favorites, Ryan? Or do you want me to go first? Oh, I can go if you want. My yeah, favorite go for part it, was the Zen master, I think. I mean, the, the Rodman stuff was like the most entertaining probably. But from being a coach, I love the Zen master. I saw them all over with their yoga mats. And I love the connection yeah. to the uh, indigenous side of things. I think, like, there's a lot of culture there that, you know, it's improving in Canada and, and probably in the States, too. But I think quicker in Canada. But there's a lot of missed connections to that part of our our heritage and stuff. And I think it was pretty cool how he brought it back into sport. And they showed the background of that. I know being involved with, like, lacrosse a little bit. In the indigenous part of that, they talk about how like these old stories of like the one lacrosse player is like the deer and the other one's like the hawk. And no matter who you are, you can fit in different little roles and stuff like that. Oh, so really? To see that come out into basketball with Phil Jackson. So I love that part. That was really cool. I mean, it was a bit weird, but, uh, you know, Phil's a bit weird. So he's out there. Mm-hmm. He's the ultimate people person, though. He knew how to kind of deal 
working with anybody, you know, and that was pretty neat to see considering like most of us probably grew up in like playing for coaches who are, was, you know, pretty black or white. There wasn't really a lot of area right. for anybody to kind of do that. That's an NBA skill, maybe more than something you've used with a high school team or something like that. But I love that part. I don't love how Michael just drops F-bombs and he just seems totally honest. He's sitting there. He talks yeah. to about not drinking and everything. He drinks throughout the whole show and smokes. <laughs> I, I wonder when they're going to touch on when he started drinking and stuff and what that led to. Because yeah. he definitely drinks and smokes now. The guy's eyes are permanently cloudy. I don't know. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> they allude to that. Didn't you guys feel that when they were doing the Scotty Burrell thing at the end when Jordan was like, he goes out all night, he doesn't yeah. commit to a lady, he gambles, he's a bad guy. I kind of felt like that was alluding to what will come next. With Michael, because yeah, they yeah. have to touch about the, where things start to get weird with the gambling and and all that stuff and how that became part of his session. I felt with Phil Jackson, I would have liked to hear more about yeah, him. Well, I wish his I segment was longer. Scott, well, yeah, I, I, he's so interesting, and they, I kind of felt like they cut it short in spots to get yeah. to more of the sensationalized stuff. But like, he's such an interesting character outside of what we already know about him. I kind of wish they, I wish they would have showed a little bit more about about just him. Um, well, let's let's, let's do this then because I was gonna go. We all say our favorites, but it kind of seems like the other question I was gonna ask are all being touched on this anyway. So we'll go back to your favorite and Missy, but let's keep talking about Phil because um, something I hear all the time, and I know you guys have heard too, is people say, you know, how good of a coach do you really have to be when you have you got MJ and then you got Kobe and Shaq. And whatever. And that is a legit criticism people have him, especially as Steve and I talked about last week, the people who never watched Phil Jackson coach a game or have never seen Michael Jordan or the guys giving these hot takes of, oh, I don't even think he's that good. Um, but how good of a coach do you think uh, Phil Jackson is? Because he's got the most rings of a head coach in the NBA, right? No, I think that's Red Arbach. Isn't that's Arbach still? Really? I, I think so. I guess I could have. We'd have to check on that, but I think. I'm doing yeah, the live I, research right now, gents. <laughs> I feel like an amazing NBA coach. Being an NBA coach is a different world from being from being like a coach of, let's say, like I don't know, up here in Canada where you do every job. I mean, he, when you've got some of the smartest minds working behind you on the technical stuff, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I think coaching the NBA is a different world than coaching anywhere else. Well, from what I, what everything you always read about NBA guys is, it's more about managing personalities than it is about the the X's and O's and tactics. So you could see back then, with Jackson's commitment with Tex Winter to changing a culture of putting in the triangle, insisting that they stick with it, how they commented that it took over a year for them to really feel comfortable with it, is a pretty big risky thing because the low hanging fruit in that situation is just keep doing what Doug Collins was doing, a lot of yeah. ISO stuff. Get it to Jordan. You know he's going to score a lot. There's going to be a ceiling on it, but it's not going to be as challenging in dealing with your players. Um, I liked when they talked about how Jackson learned about that stuff, committed really committed to it, and then kept insisting yeah. that this was what they do. Um, like in showing them the Paxson thing where he said, you don't have to take that shot. You can get it to Paxson. He's open. He'll make it. Um, and even in the first episode, going back to last week's stuff, they showed Jackson talking to the team. And he's doing it very casual. Guys, we got to do this. We got to do that. And at the very end, he's like, all right, see you guys out there. And he just leaves. Yeah. And like, that's an NBA talk. It's yeah. not like getting yeah. guys going nuts. It's just like, okay, guys, we'll see you. We'll see you when they toss it up. Yeah. Yeah. That's we'll so, a couple hours. <laughs> right. It's so different. Leaving guys to their own devices. 
Okay. Well, and I did the research, Steve-O, and it is Phil. Phil's got 11 <laughs> rings. Red Arbuck's got nine. So Phil's okay. got the most rings ever. But, yeah, I know people would say that doesn't necessarily make him the best coach of all time, the most winning. But there is that cop-out excuse of the guys he had. But what I thought was so cool is because I've always been confused of exactly what an NBA coach does, like especially now when the players have all the power, you're not teaching them any X's and O's. It seems at least it's mainly like kind of ego personality management or whatever, mm-hmm. but it was really cool to see that it was more of an X's and O's thing with the triangle offense that they bought into it. And if we're talking about ego management or personnel management, that he's able to get Michael Jordan of all people who's averaging like 37 a game to buy into the team thing. Not anybody can do that to do what he did with Rodman, not just anybody can do that. And it seems like he was just so ahead of his time. Like what you're saying with the yoga stuff and getting these guys to buy into it. Um, I don't know, man. Like I know it's a documentary and they can make you feel one way or the other, but it was really hard to leave that for me at least and not think like, man, this guy's like a fucking great, great basketball coach and basketball mind, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we all like to get off the bus with the best team, but like, you know, the Phil's triangle didn't work too well in New York there. So yeah. But I, I mean, obviously, I think he's an amazing coach. You got to have there's a combination there somewhere in the middle of the proper talent with the proper system. Phil was lucky, I think, in a way that he managed to get Michael on side because yeah. if Michael wasn't on side, that team was done. Mm-hmm. I, I I think with the one of the best attributes that Jackson has with, with his ability to manage personalities because the thing that they don't mention about Rodman. Is Rodman says it really quickly. He's like, you ask anybody, man, I was a great teammate. Just read a second about what was going on in San Antonio before they <laughs> yeah. got, got him at yeah. the pools. Like they could they showed him on, on this on the sideline with his shoes off during a game. I remember back then how what a big deal that was that Rodman checked out of the game, took his shoes off, and I'm like, I'm done. Yeah. Like he was doing anything he could to get out of San Antonio. You bring him to Chicago. For nothing, they gave nothing to the Spurs. They were just trying to dump them, and Jackson finds a way to take this on with and with some speed bumps, finds a way to manage it enough that they can win as much as they did. That has to be one of his greatest attributes of of how he's remembered as a coach. You were able to channel Michael Jordan and get buy-in yeah. from like the alpha of all alpha personalities and manage the most unpredictable basketball player that's maybe ever been in the NBA. So. I don't know. I, I think those are the things that age so well with Jackson is that with that Bulls team, he was able to really pull off a couple of uh, probably at the time things that other co- a bunch of other coaches in the league could never have done. Well, he did it again in L.A. because L.A. couldn't win until he got there. I mean, obviously, Kobe kind of came of age or whatever. But, you know, the bickering Shaq and Kobe, he managed to kind of at least make it work. So, yeah, pretty amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With uh, with what Steve said, because I was going to ask about Rodman a bit later, um, but it felt like episode four, kind of the focus, even though I agree, Steve, it wasn't long enough on Phil, it was on Phil in episode three, it was mainly about Rodman, and I, like, I didn't quite forget, but obviously as a nine-year-old, I didn't really understand just how culturally impactful Rodman was, and do you think they really captured that in this one, because... Um, I was reading about how much of an impact he had on, say, like just disenfranchised youth, kids that might like sports, but they never felt like they fit in because you don't see these guys with dyed hair and tattoos and looking like this kind of skid punk rock 
Dude, uh, do you think they captured that enough? Because I was kind of hoping they would have done a bit more. And that's not necessarily a complaint. I was just a little surprised they would have dived into that a bit. Do you know what I mean? Well, Rodman was freaking huge back in the day. I grew up actually, like a weird thing about, I think, our era of growing up. I don't know about you, Steve, but like everybody knew Michael Jordan was kind of the best. But everybody who was kind of a fringe basketball fan liked Michael Jordan. So mm-hmm. I kind of liked a lot of like random other guys not and I always cheered against Michael Jordan like this mm-hmm, because yeah. everybody oh I like Michael Jordan I like basketball so we were kind of you know that kind of like pushback in there and I actually cheered yeah. for the Spurs when Rodman was there you remember he had those shoes with the spinners on them and stuff like that oh yeah having, like yeah. Rodman was, <laughs> he was, he was yeah. fronts of magazines and you know he was like a beetle just like that whole team I guess yep I think uh you know in, in thinking back on it I went through a phase like that too with Jordan I was remember I was in elementary school and it was when the Suns were in the finals and Barkley had his MVP season. There were people that never watched basketball. They were like, Oh, I love Michael Jordan. And they had no idea. Like they couldn't pick him out of a lineup. So you did kind of start to go the other way and say like, well, I want the Suns to win. And then Jordan would win and you wouldn't be upset. But it was, I agree with you, Dunks. Like it, the Rodman stuff was, I remember we had a couple kids at our school that had his book, the bad as I want to be book where he's, he's got the basketballs and he's naked on the cover and how teachers in our school were freaking out about it and how it was inappropriate. And like, those were the kind of things that Dennis Rodman, I think got a rise out of people because he was appealing to people well outside of the game. It was very much a a representation of at at times what the nineties was of like the rebellion and all that sort of stuff and like the the grunge era and all those things. And, Rodman kind of played right into that. Well, I sent uh, Ethan a picture of my autographed copy of Bad as I Want to Be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, what's this? Uh, what's this story of your brother-in-law? Well, my brother. Well, I'll just say uh, a guy I know who played on the Edmonton Rush. I don't know if you guys remember the Edmonton Rush. Yeah, of course. Pro lacrosse team here, so yeah. they brought the worm in for uh as like a promo they had like you know they had gsp one time and they got to drop the face off and make a few public appearances and sell a few extra tickets so they had rodman come out and be that one time and i guess he came into the locker room they usually would give like the pre-game speech and he gave some kind of just messed up <laughs> pre-game speech i guess my my buddy there was saying that uh he'd never seen somebody so wasted yet still managed to kind of like make his way through and communicate i guess he was supposed to make a few appearances after and he went off to the to the strippers instead of going there and then he was mad that the strippers weren't high quality enough and he was supposed to want to go to the casino anyways i don't i don't know if you know if they ended up settling at all and stuff like that because he you know they probably paid him 15 20 grand to make the yeah. Little appearances and stuff, but I guess he was just a train wreck the entire time. <laughs> he did manage to autograph my book and basketball card, so that's sweet. About that. I don't think that's, that would be much of a shock to anybody if Rodman shows up and he's not exactly the most eloquent no. down to earth dude. He's just trying to hit diamonds and uh, yeah. get over to yeah. Century Casino or something. Well, it's interesting to see, and that like I always he doesn't come across and I don't, I don't to me anyways, as like being that smart, but like, it was interesting to see them show the, the side of it where they said he could pick up any defensive rotation yeah. and he knew like he was studying film. I never knew that side of him. I thought he was just, you know, guy go yeah. work mm-hmm. on that level. Like apparently he was a pretty cerebral basketball player, according to the, the show anyway. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Because I wouldn't have thought that at all. Like, he just seemed, like, so random. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was really cool for me learning that stuff, too, because I had no idea that aspect. And I have to say my, my far and away favorite part of Rodman, though, is the one scene when he comes out of the arena, going to his motorbike, has, like, a Miller Light in hand, just oh, yeah, finishing it. And his buddy, who's just some, like, 80s goon from a movie in his motorbike gear, just gives him this high five, and they just rip <laughs> off without a helmet on. And I was like, that's just yeah. the most 90s thing. Again, could, yeah. you, could you imagine that happening today? No. Wow. No, never. Yeah, Rodman, I would be interested to hear, like, what he was on, because they're talking about partying for, like, five days straight. You, if he's oh. just, There's no way he's just drinking. He'd burn out pretty no. quick to be on some serious shit. Yeah, <laughs> he was flying pretty high for a long time there, but he managed to come back and outrun the rest of the Bulls. So, guys, a free that game. was very cool. One, I'm curious what you guys think about it is how much you see just the players caring. Like they when Doug Collins is coaching and they win, MJ hits the shot in Cleveland, and he, Doug Collins is running around with his arms <laughs> up screaming, and all yeah. the players are just losing their minds and. The real crying MJ has when he's holding the trophy for the first time, because I don't know if this guy's bothered. This bothers you guys, but it really makes me cringe and uncomfortable now. And LeBron has done this a lot of times, where he's quote unquote crying, and they have a close up, and there are no tears coming down his face, <laughs> and it really seems like this manufactured, like, oh man, look how much he cares, and it's just like those. It's like those shitty shows you watch where there's an emotional scene, and you're looking at the actor and like get some fucking tears going what is happening right now <laughs> so actually seeing them care I, that was my favorite part because it seems like in today's game it's caring is kind of uncool everything has to be super nonchalant everything has to be so casual because it comes so easier i don't know exactly what it is i think um, that comes from the system a little bit though like you, what yeah. michael was saying like seven years to get there like now, guys, you put in a couple of years here or there, and then if it doesn't work out, you're going to go somewhere else. And, like, they yeah. keep these teams together for these longer stretches. Right. And, like, you know, just like playing, let's say, when you watch the March Madness or if you played for a university program, when you put in five years with a group of people, or in his case, there was seven years it took there, the heights of emotion there, are, you have so much more committed. You have way more chips on the table. And I just think that's a big part of it, too, just the whole way the whole system operates. Mm-hmm. That's a good call. I never thought of it that way. Actually, that's a really good point. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that because you can see it in, in how they talk about all the elite players in that era where they talk about Magic and they talk about Bird and they talk about even the Pistons uh, from a negative standpoint is these guys were were a part of this group. It wasn't Bird or Magic playing on this team, playing on this team, playing on this team. And I was just trying to chase that team to beat that one guy. You had to beat Bird in the Celtics. You had to beat Magic in the Lakers. You had to beat Isaiah in the Pistons. And then ultimately it was Michael in the Bulls. It's just such a different time when yeah. you watch that now because it, it's, it's the entire organization that these guys represent as opposed to their own individual brands where they go to different teams and then you're just you're going to have to beat that guy wherever he is. Um, yeah, it's 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 strange to watch now, given uh, given the landscapes of how uh, how the NBA yeah. is currently. Well, well, I thought it was point. interesting. Like, or go ahead, Dunks. I just love how like I wish the NBA would have a bit of a. I don't I don't like like the cheap stuff where guys are in the air and guys are cranking them. I'm glad that's out of the game. But yeah, mm-hmm. a little bit of leeway for a bit of you know extra trash talk or a bump after the whistle and stuff like that. I miss yeah. a little bit of that. 
Like, you know, yeah. when you get to NHL hockey and there's always a skirmish after yeah. every whistle, like it's just that kind of stuff just heightens the emotion of everything, makes it more personal. Now you say one little thing or you even like the fouls on breakaways are so ticky tacky now. Like if a yeah, guy's yeah. got a great path at center, I, I think that takes it away a little bit. Although the safety yeah. of the game is probably a little bit better. Fricking those, the bad boys there. That was just ridiculous. Yes. You get tossed out of a game for any of those hits now. It's real basketball. Like, no, it really wasn't. That was <laughs> no. just scummy moves. Well, back um, in the day, in basketball, you had goons on your team. That was part of it. You yeah. You don't have a goon yeah. on the team anymore no. in basketball. No. And no. Bill on beer is just the quintessential goon. That guy is <laughs> such an oh, yeah. God. But I just thought it was really interesting. Those are really good points. I thought about it because when, for me, at least when I think of the nineties, at least being a kid and growing up, that was the quintessential time to not give a shit about anything. And if you liked or cared or tried at anything that made you a loser or it made you lame, but you're looking at the pro athletes and they give such a shit. And then now doing a lot culturally to change that, um, that like approach from kids, but the athletes is kind of reverse. So, but that, that makes a lot of sense that it can be like a systematic thing, not just the athletes themselves. But yeah. well, what do you mm-hmm. think, even the focus now, like if you're an athlete today, even if you're like a seventh man on the Lakers, you're, when you show up to the arena, you're worried about like, you know, you're still wearing someone, someone's paying you for the clothes and the outfit yeah. you're wearing when you show up. You got all these other little things. I think it's, it's unfortunately a little bit less about basketball these days yeah. in terms of what it's all about these guys i mean they weren't they were making big money but nothing yeah you know at the start anyways jordan and pippen yeah. and all those bench guys like they, i don't know it's just a di- totally different era now and like not everyone was a brand they had to maintain either right like you could just exactly, show yeah. up and do your job whereas now like you said you got to come with the fit and then you got to immediately instagram your outfit yeah. you're yeah. wearing into yeah. arena and then you have to act a certain way because you know that's your brand now. And, yeah, the basketball kind of comes secondary to them being their own business. And I get it. All that money's there. It's, it's really easy to criticize. But if that's me, I'm sure I'm the hugest sellout in the NBA. And You can see where that came from, though. And when you yeah, watch it, MJ. It, he's the original MJ. brand. Like, he's the yeah. original brand. Like, yeah. you, it's amazing to watch how well put together he is by 90 standards. Yeah. Um, oh, man. He's so well, <laughs> well, what, well, what, what he's wearing, how, how well-spoken he is with the media, even when he's impatient with them, he's still pretty gracious in the things that they be, show yeah. clips of. One, that wouldn't happen now. Like, it's, it's very different to watch interviews with the best player in the NBA at the time and not have him get pissed and swear. How common that is now in interviews where guys are just going to get upset or testy with the media because they don't like something and they'll just randomly drop an F-bomb. Yeah. And like how, yeah. just how weird that is. That would never have happened back then, and you never would. I don't think Jordan did that in post game interviews that I know of. But like you can see when he is doing everything, it's a representation of his own individual brand. And why not? I mean, there wasn't anybody on his level that had the kind of marketing and power behind him, the kind of logo that he had that's become so iconic. Um, it's just different now because you imagine if you had Jordan. And then you had like 50 other guys in the league doing the exact same thing back then. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. and how none of it would have been believable. Like if just like, I don't even know, like Joe Dumars on the Pistons all of a sudden was trying to be a brand. Like it just wouldn't have made any <laughs> sense. Like it, just, yeah. it would have been so they strange. They touched on poor Joe. Joe was like an all-star. That guy was he kind of got screwed, I felt like. They didn't yeah. even talk about him yesterday. 
No. No, I kind of got screwed on that one. I feel yeah, like they were just trying to vilify the Pistons, though. And so if you're going to focus on one of the bigs, they're totally going to make it Lambeer so everyone yeah. can hate them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I got to sure. say, from a player's perspective, I think it'd be better to be a player these days. <laughs> like, 100%. Oh, my God. 100%. 100%. Yeah, these guys' career earnings are like a four-year contract from a guy who averages eight points a game. Yeah, yeah. Matthew Dellavedova has like a forty million dollar contract, yeah, man. <laughs> and but like you look back on that from not just only from a being paid perspective, look at these guys like career longevity, like oh, a guy like Isaiah. Yeah. When you read back on like they lost to the Bulls, this is like they lost in the finals, they won back to back, they lost to the Bulls, and I think in two years, the and then the next year I think the Pistons lost in the first round, and the next year didn't make the playoffs. Like how oh. quickly the rise is and then how quickly the fall yeah. is. And Isaiah wasn't in the league much longer after that because he got injured. But these guys would get hurt from yeah. so many games, the things that aren't understood now, the grind of the season, the you know the things that were available at the time. But to have a guy be winning the NBA championship in 1990 and then three years later not even be in the playoffs, yeah. like that's, that's crazy to, to think. Well, it's also neat to see, like, Michael Jordan didn't even start weight training until, well, like, seriously, anyway, still, what, it's like seventh year in the league? Yeah. Like, Crazy. Yeah. they would have had a full-time strength trainer on him when he was 18. Yeah. Living with him. Like, yeah. Dietitian. Well, that's why I don't like that argument when people be like, yeah, but everyone's so much more athletic and stronger now. It's They also have the resources of now. So if you put Michael Jordan in today's system with all of those resources, that just becomes such a stupid knock on him. Well, you know what I mean? be a better athlete in the league than Michael Jordan if he was at his prime right now. I couldn't think exactly. Of anybody. I mean, LeBron athletically would be probably on the same level, but he, I mean, but not many guys. Like, there's not many guys doing what he did now. I wouldn't no. say. No. Sticking no. with the uh, sticking with the Pistons because I honestly was completely unaware of how good they were when I was a kid. But for you guys who are, you know, OG. Based off your disliking Jordan basketball hipsters, what were your thoughts on the Pistons went back then? Did you were they the villains they're made out to be, or you're like that's kind of cool? I like these guys. I had a hoops card that I was really proud of the Pistons championship. Like I said, I cheered against the Bulls. I always picked had Western teams though. I don't know. I was mm-hmm. never really a fan of any of the teams in the East. I did cheer against Michael for most of my like youth and and that you know I. As you get older, you learn to appreciate him a little bit more. But, you know, when you're a kid, I was like onto the Spurs and I don't know, like you said, those Barkley years and always trying to cheer, cheer against Michael. But uh, <clears throat> what was your original question there again, Ethan? I was, like, I'm just curious as a fan what you guys thought of the Pistons back then. Uh, I, I actually cheered for them over the Bulls. Yeah. Back in the day. But again, it was such a different type of fandom. Like you didn't really right. see it. Like you read about it in Sports Illustrated. Yeah. You got the clip here and then the playoff starts. And I don't even remember back then, but you weren't getting round one, round two. You Maybe they started picking it up, you know, in the Western Eastern Conference semis. So it was a lot of more folklore and stuff those days in terms of like what was actually kind of coming at you. So I think it was a totally different type, at least up here in Canada, of like viewership. You had to like mm-hmm. get out, follow it. And it's easy to kind of have more of these kind of folklore things because you weren't so exposed. I'd say with the Pistons, it's interesting watching it because in looking at their roster, 
I do think they're a team that potentially could have been all right now because you have yeah. Isaiah Thomas, who's brutally underrated because of a couple of things that happened in his career, one being what they just highlighted of the walk-off, <laughs> that has really hurt his perce- the perception of him. But it's for sure not appreciated just how good he actually was. Joe Dumars was really good. Mark Aguirre was really good. Vinny Johnson was really good. So you had four guards that could, yeah, you had four guards that could really score. In today's game, with it being so guard heavy, I have to think that they would age pretty well. Then you had other guys like Rodman who, okay, offensively would really stand out like a sore thumb today. But is he any like as far as like a rim runner, a rebounder, a defensive guy, I still feel like he, he still would have had Yeah. I mean, if JaVel McGee can play in the NBA, then Dennis Rodman today could play in the NBA. JaVel McGee's got, like, no game, but he's just a rim runner. So there's Especially a when now – I'm sorry. Especially now that centers only need to be 6'7", and in yeah. an ideal world with all the threes, like, all the threes being shot, if you have a guy who just runs rim to rim and only passes, that's kind of like the dream power forward center right now. Yeah. Especially Why if you can guard bigger than your position. Exactly, yeah. which he which he could do easily. So you look yeah. at the Pistons, you're like, this is a team that if they would have just cut the shit, would have aged really well. The crappy thing about Lambeer, same type of thing. If he wasn't such an asshole, you'd realize like he was a good player. He's kind of the pick and pop originator. He could shoot yeah. a little bit from his size. It's a thing that ages very well. You watch last night's episode, and nobody's going to care if Bill Lambeer was good. You're just going to say like, man, when he tackles somebody, you're rooting for someone to punch his head off. Um, this is the crazy thing with the Pistons. Cause for me, like this was right before I really started following basketball. The Lakers series where the bulls won their first championship was my first real clear NBA. I'm following game to game memory, but everything that you read about the Pistons of, I have a little bit of a rant here is they age so badly because you're in this era where you want to be a badass and you want to be the bully and you're abusing the rules of the league by punching dudes in the head when they're going to the rim at times from some of their clips. And now that it's 30 years later and it's aged so poorly and you're saying, well, no one, people don't appreciate us in the time we beat bird, we beat magic, we knocked them off. But then the NBA wanted Jordan to be the superstar, but we beat him it's kind of like, yeah, guys, but you're talking about Magic and Jordan and Magic and Bird, who saved the league, and you're talking about Jordan and the Bulls, who everybody loves and reveres from the '90s. You're sandwiched in that middle there, and yeah, you won two titles, but the teams you played against, those guys hate you because you were pushing them into the stands and doing all this crazy stuff when you're going to the rim, and then the fans of those teams hate you because you're punching dudes in the head when they're trying to get to the rim. If you're not in Detroit, you're probably not into this whole Pistons bad boys thing all that well, because regardless of how good they were as players, that comes up after their badass stuff, which at the time they wanted to be known for. So like, it doesn't matter how good you were. If you want to be known for the tough guy stuff, no one remembers the bully in elementary school as being a really big sweetheart. You remember him being a bully. So I don't know. I feel like that kind of stuff ages badly with the Pistons because Plus, you're beating up on Michael Jordan. Everyone's been trained in our generation at some point or another to love Michael Jordan. And you see these clips of these guys just hammering him. It ages bad. So you, you see it, and then you hear Isaiah's explanation of why we did the walk-off, why we did that. And Jordan kind of summed it up perfectly, I think, for anyone who was watching. is like, I don't care. Of course he's going to say that now. It doesn't capture what happened then. 
I guess we can get a closer look. I think TSN showing the 30 for 30 bad boys tonight. Uh, okay. Oh, are they? Yeah, I saw it on Twitter. Oh, today. man. Someone said it's going to be. I watched it a couple years ago. It's PBR. good from a nostalgia standpoint. Have you guys seen it? No. I have, but it's been a long time. The way I remember watching it was like, yeah, this is cool. But like, I also, too, like watching them, like, nah. They're really? not my favorite team from that era. They're not like as good as well, their they players were. Probably were. no one's favorite team except for the city of Detroit. Except for the city of Detroit, because okay, Redneck. you beat the Celtics. Everyone loves the Celtics from that era with Bird and and, and yeah. those guys. And you beat Magic. Everyone loves Magic. And even then, down to the whole Pistons not shaking hands with the Bulls guys. Jordan did it in the clips before in the previous seasons when they lost. Yeah. And then you even see when Magic loses to Jordan in the final, you can. T- there's clearly yeah. a respect thing between him of the comments that he had. The Pistons just don't age well, man. Like the the way they handle certain things, it really it really hurts their legacy. As be, what being what they were, it was being a, an awfully good team. They won a back to back. Yeah, yeah, but it, I think that's pretty cool. Like going back to what Ethan said, that even though they did walk off and they were poor sports, there was just that level of hate between the teams. Like that's it's. I think that's a it's gone. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. You know. But it starts with these guys all are all buddies before they even get to the league now. I mean, it's a whole oh, different yeah. world in terms of social Very media connection, that AAU system and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. it's just there was a legitimate hate, which I remember growing up playing in university and having like, a, I don't know if that was, I guess, similar years, actually, because that was mid to late 90s. And there was like legitimate hate and, you know, sometimes stuff that even happened in like parking lots and stuff outside of the like playing facilities and stuff with like some rep we had some few skirmishes when we stayed in the hotel same hotel as Lethbridge a couple times late at late <laughs> at night actually we woke Horwood up one night and he came out out of his room and there was a bit of a thing going on in the parking lot this was in Manitoba and he, we were we were scared of the old man we all went inside but <laughs> he, he broke it up I agree with you, though, that that was a part of the era. You did hate the guys that were across from you. I don't know if it was because the superstars of that generation kind of set the tone of that. But there was more of that, I think, because everything wasn't as interconnected, like you said, Ryan, with uh, guys are playing with dudes. They know them when you're 12 or 13. They're they're childhood buddies. And then you come up through the system and you wind up in the league together. What's the dislike? Like, you probably stayed at one of these guys' houses. Yeah. Yeah, it's well, also go ahead, right? You saw like the stuff with Ainge, obviously, early in the thing, like how badly that would get blown up. Like, first off, probably back then it wasn't that widely reported, I would assume, because I didn't remember Jordan playing golf with Ainge the day before a playoff game. But imagine if LeBron did that now, how hated he'd, he'd he'd be. Like oh, he yeah. would just be destroyed. LeBron yeah. playing hoops with or golf with somebody before a big game, he would be destroyed. Yeah, he did. Yeah. That's true. I do. That's funny about the hate thing, though, because that is one of the parts of that era that's like makes you miss it. And you just I, I guess because it just goes hand in hand with competitive uh, with competitiveness. But maybe just the common denominator being everyone hated Detroit is why you kind of like for me, at least like I, I lack sympathy for him. And, and, and that's a good transition, actually, to what do you guys make of the uh, Isaiah MJ beef, if you will, um, because I loved when how raw MJ has been this whole time. And I felt like that really hit it home for you. They asked him about Isaiah and he just said like, he's an asshole and he didn't do any of the like, ah, oh, he's a good guy. That's Isaiah being Isaiah. Like 
you could tell the dude just doesn't like him and he made no bones about it. So do you think that came across as kind of bad form by MJ? And you're like, dude, get over it. Or like me, were you kind of just like, hell yeah, man. That's what makes yeah, you great, Michael. You. You're a lunatic. I agree with you, Heath. Like, I, I don't know. I don't mind a good grudge here against certain yeah. guys and stuff like that. Like, Michael's been awesome. Like, I, I heard a report that he said that before it started that no one was going to like him. I like him more the more I watch him. I like him so much more now. Yeah, I mm-hmm. didn't know. Like, he's honest, I think. He's, you know, he's he's speaking from the heart. And, yeah, I actually have grown to like more Michael a little bit more. I love his competitive fire. Obviously, you knew he had it, but, you know, it's neat, neat to see him reflect on it. It was always so different in the 90s when they did the Michael Jordan videos where he would give good talks, but it was very polished and very scripted yeah. and, like, very, like, Michael Jordan lore of what, like, when you look back on this in 30 years, if this is what we have to watch on Michael Jordan, then this is what you'll think he was. It was just, like, straight competitor, fought like crazy, but you never got that human side of him where it's like, yeah, but didn't it piss you off that the Pistons yeah. were trying to beat you up all the time? What do you really think about that? So when he's cussing... Like I said this to my wife yesterday when we were watching. I'm like, I'm loving how much he's swearing. It's three minutes it. into this. Yeah. And he yeah, said the F word like five Michael. times. And I'm like, this yeah. is perfect. This is exactly what you wanted. The coolest thing about the four episodes I found is when you hear Jordan talk, he's such a good speaker that he gets you fired up about the idea of competing, of working, of doing all these things. But the cool thing about that I find is like there's the authenticity of it. Another guy could get on and recite Michael's lines that he said and you'd say like, man, just please get this guy off. There's no posturing with him. There's no bullshit. There's no nothing. He's just saying this is what motivated me. And like he said, I didn't like the Pistons then. I don't like them now. You're not questioning like, I don't know if he actually means that. You believe it when he's talking about it. That's been the best part about it I think for me is listening to Michael talk and saying like, if he has a grudge, like you said, Ryan, you're buying that he holds a grudge and that if he's fired up about something, you can kind of still see like in the tone of his voice with the Isaiah thing. Yeah. It still pisses him off. That's what you were watching this hoping like crazy that you were going to get is like Jordan speaking in that way. Cause we've never heard him speak like that before. He's been so private with everything that he does. I have kind of a theory on like why, it's so refreshing to hear him talk this way now too, because I honestly think the first time anyone ever heard Michael Jordan really talk was at his hall of fame yeah. uh, speech. Yeah. And we were so caught off guard because we were used to the polish speaking in the third person. Everything is the most immaculate answer. And all of a sudden this angry dudes up there telling everyone to fuck off pretty much. <laughs> we're all like, Whoa, Michael, what happened? That's because we all watched him on VHS come fly with me. Yeah, yeah exactly. 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 You could create the perfect little storybook character there, Michael. Was, exactly. You know, but, no and, and then we saw the him. real raw one, and now um, you, you're, you're seeing a little bit of that, but we're seeing the much more like, oh, okay, I get how we got to this point. And he just seems like an actual person now. He's not bitter. He's not pissed at everybody. He just – is so goddamn fiery and he doesn't hold back. He's going to say what's on his mind. I, I think it's so cool. And when it comes to the Isaiah thing, um, yeah, I, I love that. He still holds a grudge. Too. I Maybe still got some don't... grudges. I'll admit it. I got a few grudges out there. <laughs> Me too, man. I'm good. There's nothing wrong with a good grudge. <laughs> I hate everybody. Nothing wrong with a good um, grudge. I still got one guy at noon ball. I got to get back for a buck <laughs> the other day. And it's, don't worry. He's on my hit list. Oh man. Last time I went, he wouldn't come down the court. I think he knew I wanted to get him back. So. <laughs> <laughs> I feel hard hit. I personally feel hard hit by the whole COVID situation because men's league, 
Uh, Men's League was just going into playoffs, and the team I hate so much, there's this loser on it where if he makes a three, which might happen like five times a year, he does the three-point bow and arrow. This is Men's League. And they're just the dirtiest bastards. So we were they're 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 the they're the bad boys of Division One men's league. And anyway, <laughs> I'm, I'm impressed you're still playing Division One men's league. Youth. That's pretty good, man. I think the quality's gone down a lot since your day. So we're playing. I was like, thinking it, it, uh, yeah. Rick Pease could have been uh, the men's league equivalent of uh, of Bill Lane Beer. I don't know if you guys know who Rick Pease is with, <laughs> with that fucking Rick, weight Rick. belt. <laughs> he could shoot the three he was thick and he'd lay a cheap shot on you at any moment i actually love rick Pease. he's one of my coaches but man he was like lame beer <laughs> nothing like a weight belt into the basketball jersey to run into <laughs> making good analogies to the edmonton scene hey <laughs> I, I the other thing i forgot saying i feel i feel horrible that i missed this talking about favorite parts i think the most fired up i got was when horace grant called them little bitches for walking <laughs> off the court. That was, that was so yeah. cool, man. That yeah. was great. That was He's still holding some grudge there. Love it. With I'm the, actually really interested to see how the, like they've been showing like little shots. I don't know if you guys noticed in the locker room yesterday, I have Michael Jordan's dad. I wonder when that's going to come into play. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was yeah. wondering, yeah. is, is that interesting story? Because that, ha- yeah. Cause it happens during the season, right? I, does no? it? I don't know. I don't that, like the, those timelines are confusing to me looking back. Does it happen during that season? Actually, I don't think it does because I, I, but I was curious about that because I was wondering would they include that if it's not involved in the season? Like if it happened later, I feel like that I, happens in the summer. Okay. I, yeah, I, feel, I, I don't know. Right. I, I, I seem to remember at the time because that was news when that came out that Michael yeah. Jordan's dad had been killed. Um, yeah, murdered. And they, I, took the, they took the championship rings off him and stuff, I think. Yeah, it was ugly. I think so, big spoiler yeah, alert if you weren't familiar. I think going forward, they have some pretty interesting things to touch on now because they have to talk about why Horace Grant left left the Bulls. And they have to talk about Jordan's dad. And then they have to get into the gambling stuff. So have there's to, a I there's a lot of things that they're gonna have to touch on here that are going to uh that are going to go against what they've established so far that like Bulls were the up-and-coming team. They won the championship. Now they've arrived. And it's crazy to think back then you could go to Vegas as an NBA basketball player, pretty much do whatever the hell you wanted. There might be some talk or some rumor or whatever. Imagine doing that now. Like everybody would be having their cell phones oh, yeah. in their face and saying the world would the world would be falling how much apart. They drank. Well, and the guys now would also be tweet like live tweeting themselves, being That's like about true. to get it in in Vegas, and then. Yelling at the reporters the next day when they hit this clock. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think we created some pretty good intrigue here because it'll be funny for the people who don't know what we're talking about. If there are a few of them, like to friends or whatever, the level of intrigue. Now we're talking about like addiction and murder, and this is taking a real (laughs) dark turn. Um, They had some addiction to gambling. Yeah, yeah. Oh god, a competitive spirit probably. It couldn't. Yeah, I wonder how much that just goes hand in hand with it. Mm-hmm. But um, that's probably yeah. We're we're about the hour mark, so I feel like it's a pretty <laughs> good way to end the pod. Uh, thanks a lot for doing it, Dunks. It was awesome to have you on, man. Oh, I'd love to yeah, see man. you guys. Thanks. That was fun.